This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this show a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 322. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome to season 8 of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you about my journey as a writing professional. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today, I'm bringing you Chapter 5 of Honor Bound by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 318 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. It's the night of the debutante's ball, when the children of Metamore's nobility are welcomed into society as adults. After living her entire life on her father's country estate, Honor Hen Bellevue is about to meet her peers for the first time. Honor has arrived in the capital at a time of immense social change. The Empire has just won a great war, one that devastated much of the developed world, but left Metamore's homeland intact. Now the soldiers are coming home, where they struggle to integrate back into civilian life. In the Metamorian Senate, the Progressive Coalition has taken power for the first time in a generation, and they are already passing legislation that could lead to sweeping reforms, if the bills can be approved by the Council of Peers, which represents the interests of the nobility. Honor's father, Lord Bellevue, has a seat on the council, and his cousin Tyrrell has already warned him about a bill and succession reform that will shortly come up for their consideration. If the bill passes, Tyrrell's son Graham will be displaced as the scion of House Bellevue, replaced by Honor, an 18-year-old girl with no training on how to lead a noble house. Honor was a little stunned at the idea that she might become a baroness in the event of her father's death. Tyrrell thinks the idea is nothing short of madness, and he is rallying his allies to oppose the bill. As they waited for their carriage to pass through the security screening at Hassan Manor, Cousin Graham idly speculated that the Duke's wizard was looking for Daedra in disguise. An incubus or succubus could cause a lot of chaos if it slipped in among the young people at the ball. At these words, Honor was struck by a vivid and shocking vision, a powerful succubus pushing her down on a bed, stripping off her clothes and ravishing her. Honor gasped and fell to the floor of the carriage, overwhelmed by the intensity of the image. This drew the attention of the wizard, Araba, who narrowed her eyes at Bellevue's carriage and frowned. "'I thought I sensed a working here,' she said. "'My lady, did you notice anything strange or unexpected a moment ago?' Honor's vision had been both strange and unexpected, but she denied everything. 
If there was magic at work in the carriage, there was only one likely cause. The beautiful butterfly amulet Honor was wearing, a gift from her estranged and scandalous mother, Lady Sylvia. If Honor said anything about it, it would draw the attention of Cousin Tyrrell, who hated Sylvia for the shame she had brought on their family. Honor was not about to let these old men take away the one thing her mother had given her. After a moment, Araba cleared them, apparently not finding any dangerous enchantments at work in the carriage. They passed through the gate and made their way up the long, curving path to the steps of Hassan Manor. Honor Bound The House of Bellevue Book One Written by L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 5 Making Friends Hassan Manor was everything Honor had imagined, and they were only just inside the front door. She turned in a slow circle in the middle of the entry hall, staring in wonder at the beautifully carved statues of Metamore's ancient heroes, at the portraits of dukes and duchesses past, at the ornate tapestries and Kellaware rugs. She had never seen so much beautiful art in one place. All around her milled the lords, ladies, and androgyne nobles of the other houses. Most of them she had never met before. Growing up on the Bellevue country estate, they'd had few visitors from the city. But she had memorized the arms of all the great houses and some of the lesser ones, and these were displayed on sashes, armbands, and jewelry worn by many of the guests. There she saw the axe and bow of House Brightleaf, there the rampant badger of House Barnhart, there the hand and star of Clan Matthias. The other debutantes were easy to spot. All were dressed in white, and most of them were looking around with the same air of excitement as Honor herself. The parents and other relatives were all dressed in darker, more reserved colors. Dark blue, burgundy, burnt sienna, forest green— which made the debutantes stand out even more. Honor noticed a cluster of five girls already talking excitedly amongst themselves, huddled under a portrait of Duke Thomas V. They all looked lovely in their perfect white dresses. My peers, she thought, with a thrill of excitement. Finally a chance to make friends with people her own age. She looked hopefully up at Lord Bellevue. Father, can I— she nodded in the direction of the other debutantes. He followed her look, then smiled warmly down at her. That's why we're here, he said. Go on, then. Have fun. Barely restraining a squeal of excitement, Honor hurried over to the group. The girls were already deep in discussion and did not seem to notice when Honor approached the edge of the group. She eased herself into a gap in the circles and listened, trying to pick up the thread of the conversation. As she did so, she took the time to watch the others, gauging the social dynamics of the group. The apparent leader was a tall, slender girl with a narrow face and a long, thin nose, which reminded Honor of a sighthound. Her light blonde hair was arranged in an intricate beehive, with white ranunculus blossoms woven into a crown shape above her high forehead. Her necklace was white gold or platinum, heavy with diamonds, 
and formed the shape of the yew tree of the ecclesia. The pendant was easily three inches across. That took honor by surprise. She knew people who wore religious jewelry, mostly among the House Bellevue staff, but it was always small and modest, and usually worn under one's clothes. To advertise one's religion, especially with such a display of wealth, seemed strange to her. But the other girls hung on her words, and Honor could see why. There was a light in her eyes, a proud confidence in her bearing, that she found instantly compelling. The other four girls were similar in build and overall appearance, all relatively thin, attractive, and fair-skinned. Their hair ranged from blonde to red to light brown, and all of them wore elaborate updos of varying styles. None of them were as tall as their leader— but they were all taller than Honor. She tried to pay them equal attention, but her eyes kept being drawn back to the girl with the floral crown. The conversation was difficult for Honor to follow. The girls were clearly discussing upcoming social events that they might attend, but they seemed to be using a kind of shorthand. They pronounced opinions on the Duke's Cup or the Barnhart matches or the exhibition, but the names gave no clue to what these things might entail. There were frequent digressions into gossip about the noble houses that were sponsoring the events, and particularly about the eligible bachelors of said houses. Honor had never met any of the people they were discussing, and had never even heard of half of them. These girls are no older than I am, she thought. How do they know all this? At last they hit upon a topic that Honor recognized. The Lowland Derby should be interesting this year, the tall girl said. They say Oliver Hinlassos is riding his own horse. Oh, yes, Honor said excitedly. Unfettered looks very promising. I saw him as a two-year-old at last year's Terence Open, and he just moved beautifully. I'll be very interested to see how he does with a new jockey. All the other girls in the circle turned to look at her. Honestly, though, I think Golden Dawn is the one to beat, Honor went on. His sire was a four-time champion in Einador, and his dam comes from a very strong line out of Tegenti province. And Judith Mercer is riding him. The way her horses move with her, it's as if they could read her mind. Did you see her last year with Bright Herald at the Broadfield Downs? Perfection! No one answered this. Honor glanced around the circle and saw a collection of blank stares. She looked back at the tall girl, who was now studying Honor with a kind of bemused fascination, as if she were a rather large and odd-looking insect that had just landed on her dressing table. Yes, well, the girl said, after a painfully long and awkward silence. I meant that it would be interesting to see if dear Oliver manages to finish the race without breaking something. His confidence has always exceeded his ability, in my estimation. Honor's stomach gave an anxious twinge. Oh, she said, much quieter than she had been a moment before. I'm afraid I couldn't venture an opinion on that. Hmm... The tall girl regarded her for a moment longer in silence, and none of her companions ventured to break it. Honor felt as if she were being measured against some invisible standard, and coming up short. The tall girl's eyes narrowed fractionally. 
I don't believe we've been introduced, she said. I am Lady Delphinia, scion of House Moraine. She gestured at each of the girls around her in turn. These are Margaret Hinduval, Yanlin Ballantyne, Moira Hindugul, and Samantha Trent. The others bowed their heads in greeting as Delphinia introduced them. Honor was surprised and a little intimidated. A female scion. No wonder the other girls looked up to her. She wondered what Delphinia would think about this new succession bill that Cousin Tyrrell had mentioned. She gave Delphinia a formal curtsy. Honor in Bellevue, it's a pleasure to meet you. Delphinia nodded slightly in return. So, Honor, you like horses, I take it. Very much, Honor admitted. I help look after them at our estate. Our stable hand, Winston, is getting on in years, so he's been teaching me how to take care of them since I was little. One of the other girls, Moira, if Honor remembered correctly, looked utterly baffled by this. Why don't you just hire another stable hand? Well, I don't know, Honor said. Good hands are expensive, I suppose, and I like being useful. I expect that will prove valuable to you, Delphinia said, but her tone was detached and her eyes began roving around the room as if she were losing interest in the conversation. A few of the other girls laughed, though Honor wasn't sure why. She had the distinct feeling that she was failing to make a good impression. She tried to turn the conversation back to something Delphinia might be more interested in. Might I ask you a question, Lady Delphinia? she ventured. Delphinia did not look at her. I believe you just did. Honor felt her face growing warm. Yes, well, I was wondering what it was like being a house scion. Delphinia arched an eyebrow in her direction, but said nothing. I'm, I'm sure it is a great responsibility, Honor went on, learning the duties of a house leader, the... The politics and the relations with other houses, and... She looked down at her hands and began nervously wringing her fingers. With the talk about this new succession bill, it made me wonder what it would be like being a scion. Do you enjoy it? More silence. Delphinia turned her full attention on honor now, taking two steps forward to stand in the middle of the circle. Her ice-blue eyes were cold. I had three brothers and four male cousins, Delphinia said. The detached tone in her voice had not gone away, even though she was staring down at Honor with unnerving intensity. They all served in the war. They all died. My first duty as House Scion was attending their funerals. Honor didn't know what to say to that, she looked down at the skirts of her frilly white dress and felt very young and foolish. Of course Delphinia would not have become a scion except under terrible circumstances. Honor should have thought of that. For the last two years I have been catching up with what they had been learning their entire lives, Delphinia went on. I could not summarize it for you in an hour, much less in a few words. Even if I could, I doubt you have the context to grasp it. Where did you go to school, Miss Bellevue? I, well, 
I had tutors. Delphinia snorted dismissively. We all had tutors. Where was your finishing school? You weren't at St. Gertrude's with us, I know that much. Honor's ears felt like they were burning. I, um, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the term. Is that something new here in Metamore? The other girls laughed. Honor did not like the sound of it. I suppose so, Delphinia sighed. If an institution ten years old is still considered new, it's how the great houses train young ladies for their roles in society, so we do not embarrass ourselves and our houses by asking tedious questions to which we should already know the answers. More laughter. Honor's cheeks were burning now. I... I didn't know, she murmured. Obviously, Delphinia said. I advise you to forget about being a scion, Miss Bellevue. Go back to your horses. I'm sure they appreciate those useful skills you have so diligently acquired. Delphinia glanced up then, over Honor's shoulder, and a look of pure hatred flashed in her eyes. She covered it quickly, her face returning to a look of calm detachment. Excuse me, she said, and strode past Honor and out into the room. The other girls followed in her wake, whispering and giggling to one another as they passed. Honor stayed where she was, head down and trying not to cry. Gods, she thought bitterly, five minutes into my debut, and I have already made a complete fool of myself. I think it's wonderful that you know about horses. The new voice came from behind Honor, in the same direction Delphinia had looked a moment before. A rich alto, one that exuded as much confidence as Delphinia's, but had none of its snide undertones. Honor hurriedly wiped her eyes and turned around to see who had spoken. She was greeted with a breathtaking sight. A gorgeous androgyne noble, half a head taller than Honor, and standing just a few paces away from her. They were dressed in a spotless white shirt with puffy sleeves, a white corset with gold brocade, a lacy cravat with a gold pin, a knee-length white kilt, white hose, and glossy black riding boots. Their short dark hair was combed straight back, revealing a prominent widow's peak. They had chosen a generally masculine body shape for the evening, with broad shoulders, narrow hips, a sharp jawline, and a proud aquiline nose. Still, there were some unabashedly feminine touches to their appearance. Their full, bow-shaped lips were painted reddish-brown, which went well with their dark olive complexion. They had used mascara, eyeliner, and shadow, which brought out the striking gold-brown of their eyes. Those eyes scanned honor up and down, and then the lovely lips parted in a broad smile. The noble bowed deeply to her. Noble Alex. Scion of House Townsend, they said. At your service, Miss Bellevue. Honor swallowed back the lump in her throat, struggling to find her voice. Charmed, she said at last, and curtsied in return. I wouldn't worry myself about finishing school if I were you, my lady, Alex said. It is very fashionable with a certain set, but I believe its virtues are oversold. The curriculum, you see, is mostly about how to find a husband. They glanced significantly in the direction Delphinia had departed. 
The look of loathing that passed across their face was a close cousin to the one she had seen on Delphinia's. One would think that a house scion has more important things to do with her time. Honor sniffed again and shook her head, as if that might help her understand what had just happened. She'd never encountered such hostility before. Why was she so... so cold? I don't understand. Delphinia has very little patience for anyone she considers less intelligent than herself. Alex sighed. Which is just about everyone. They smiled gently down at Honor again. Don't let it trouble you. Not everyone here is so horrible. Their frankness surprised a laugh out of Honor. I should hope not. I wanted very much to make friends. Alex's smile turned into a lopsided grin. Well then, that is one thing we have in common. Perhaps we should look for others. Honor felt herself returning the smile. There was a warmth in her cheeks again, but it was an altogether more pleasant sensation than before. I think I would like that, noble Alex. They walked a slow circuit around the hall, and Alex introduced Honor to many of their friends and schoolmates, all of whom were gracious, charming, and unfailingly polite to Honor. Most of them were gentlemen, with a few fellow androgynes in the mix. Unlike Honor or Delphinia, Alex had been educated at the Imperial War College, an officer's academy that did not admit women. Honor could see it now in the way Alex carried themselves, a posture and body language she recognized from the military men with whom her father socialized. Did you fight in the war? Honor asked sometime later. No, no, we were all still cadets when it ended, Alex said, looking suddenly thoughtful. We did our part, for all that we could, helped out at hospital when the injured came home. That was... instructive. They shook their head as if to clear an unpleasant vision. If the balefire hadn't cut things short, I probably would have shipped out when we invaded Telva. Can't say I regret missing that. Honor was quiet for a long moment. My father is terribly disappointed that he never became a soldier, she said at last. When the First Great War came, he was too young, and then the Second arrived, and he was too old. I think he feels like he missed something terribly important, a chance to prove himself. Many men feel that way, Alex agreed, and put a gentle emphasis on the word men. But after what I saw at that hospital, I think war is another institution whose virtues are oversold. They said this with a wry twist at the corner of their lips, but the expression faded quickly. War costs, Miss Bellevue. Those who go, even if they return unmaimed, they leave a part of themselves behind, and I believe they will need more than a hero's welcome to find it again. Honor would have asked Alex to say more about this, but just then a fanfare sounded at the far end of the hall. All of the guests began lining up in front of the two great doors that led to the Duke's audience chamber. Alex took Honor's hand. I must find my parents, they said. We'll talk again later, I hope. Honor beamed. I'd like that, she said.
Alex's dark eyes sparkled. They lifted Honor's hand to their lips and gently kissed it, sending excited shivers down her arm and up the back of her neck. The androgyne flashed her a broad, brilliant grin, and then disappeared into the crowd. And that's the end of Chapter 5. Come back next time, when Honor is presented to Duke Thomas, and her mother's mysterious amulet causes more complications. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released once per week for 51 weeks. If you're enjoying this story and want to listen to it faster, the entire series is available now at Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Henry Ward Beecher said, All words are pegs to hang ideas on. So let's see how many new pegs I've added to the board this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of March 26th through April 1st. I wrote 870 words this week, over the course of one hour, for an average writing speed of 870 words per hour. I wrote on one out of seven days this week. Looking back at the month of March, I wrote a total of 10,780 words in 17 days, averaging 634 words per day. That ranks 54th out of 83 months since I started this show. Compared to January, the last month when I did any writing, my word count increased by 95%, and my writing time increased by 70%. After being relatively successful at rebuilding my writing habit earlier in the month, this past week I wasn't able to write anything except the script for this podcast. My mind has felt disordered, unable to focus on anything creative. I've been preoccupied with the advertising campaign for the House of Bellevue, and disappointed that the books haven't been performing better. Sometimes, in my darker moments, I wonder if there's any point in putting so much time and effort into telling these stories, if so few people are going to see them. Some of this is seasonal, I know. Looking back at my word counts over the last seven years that I've been doing this show, I frequently hit a writing slump around this time of year. I've also been short on sleep since the time change, and that means having less energy to focus on creative tasks. I'll pull myself out of this, just like I have every other time this has happened. I'll keep writing, because that's what I do. I tell stories. But these fallow times are still tough to accept, and they're no fun when I'm going through them. While I haven't been able to do much on the writing front, I have been exercising my mind in other ways. I've gotten back into playing solo pieces on the piano, and the one I've been practicing since early February is finally coming together. I've also been reading a lot more. In the first three months of the year, I finished 11 books, which is a faster rate than I think I've ever managed before. Right now, I'm two-thirds of the way through Jane Austen's classic romance, Pride and Prejudice, which I'm reading for the first time. After more than 200 years, it's impressive how well it holds up. It's also giving me things to think about, as I consider the social classes of 19th century Metamore, and how the progressive era is disrupting them. And the Audible version, which is read by Rosamund Pike, 
is a joy for the ears, and makes the old-fashioned language sound natural and easy to follow. It's making me think about what other classics I might like to read. I couldn't appreciate these books when I was a teenager, and people were telling me to read them because they were important, but now that I'm in my 40s, I think I'm ready to enjoy them on their own merits. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvett Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.